0: Welcome back to Women in Romance, where we get to talk about all kinds of things, romance landia, romance books, romance novels, romance
1: people, Um, but no real life romance, please no. We missed you on our time off, but we are very glad to be back. I am Jess.
2: And I am Trisha. And I also missed you and I'm glad to be back.
1: And we're recording on Thursday, September 15th, 2022. The Ides of
2: September. (laughs) the Ides of September famous the famous Ides of September (laughs) gotta love it how are you Des I am I am great I am cooling off but (laughs) are you is it starting to like be less miserable there
1: Uh, mm,
2: relative but you know yes I
1: would say yes
2: fair how are you I'm doing all right. We actually are still um in the Northwest having some some pretty pretty good weather. We're, I'm sure, going to turn to 50 degrees and raining any day now. We actually have just gotten through, where I live, a few days of smokiness. There are forest fires about 150 or 200 miles from here. Oh, no. Which is, I'm sure, very, very scary for folks who are impacted here and in all of the other parts of the country and, and the world dealing with that. But very thankfully, it hasn't been a huge deal for me, aside from... Like the weird, it's, if you haven't ever experienced it, it's super weird. It's like this very strange, like yellowy apocalyptic outside. And you look, you can look like directly at the sun and it's just this like glowing orange ball. Like it looks sort of like the moon. It's, it's unusual. And uh, hopefully a day will come when no one is experiencing that. So, but yeah, I think we're, we're making our way into fall. Here's my question for you before we like jump into all of the things. Have you done any of the fall stuff Yet, like, has there been any? Because we're halfway. Like I said, Ides of September. Mm -hmm. In some ways, we are either in fall or close to fall, depending on like how you count. If meteorological fall starts September first, we're there. Have you done any of the like pumpkin, apple, flannel, mitten, anything fall related yet? Oh, it is
1: still far too hot for flannels or mittens um, of any kind. I did have an apple today. Um, But I haven't had any, like, cider or spice, and I am still very much drinking iced coffee because it's hot. (laughs) But I know that the pumpkin spice is around, and, you know, maybe sometime soon I will have my first pumpkin spice latte of the season.
2: I will say I did turn, as you know, (laughs) we were going to maybe start recording like a half an hour ago, and I was like, actually, I just put a pizza in the oven. I just turned my oven on for the first time in probably three months because you know, it's during the summer, it's just too hot to have it on usually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and to be fair, it still was probably like 68 today, but like not, you know, not 85 or anything. So, so to me, I kind of feel like I have now like broken that particular barrier to I was trying to think of like some metaphor that is not like a creepy, weird, (laughs) like virginity metaphor. Like I've, uh, across that. Rubicon. I don't know. I got nothing. I turned my oven on, you guys. That's where we are. (laughs) That's what I have for you today. (laughs) That works. And the pizza was fine. It was like frozen pizza always is where you think it's going to be really good. And then you're like, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Anyway.
1: But it's still pizza. So.
2: Exactly. That's what they always say, right? Like, even the worst pizza is better than no pizza. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) At least I think that. That's what I say. I don't know. (laughs) Uh all right, enough pizza discussion, enough fall discussion. uh, maybe we do a quick reminder about book club. Yes,
1: we are having our fall book club conversation on our next recording, which is on september twenty ninth for the episode airing. On October 3rd, Mean Girls Day. Um, I, d- I like. It's not actually Mean Girls Day, but that's always what I think of. We, are, we will be reading Witchmark by C.L. Polk. Um, we have had some insider information that it's more of an HFN than an HEA. But, you know, we'll talk about that in the episode. So send us your thoughts if you've read it and you have until maybe midday on the 29th let's say to yes, um to let us know if you have any thoughts ideas questions concerns or complaints
2: all right i'm excited me too i will be honest i have not read the book yet but me i either. will in the next couple of weeks i'm excited about it uh all right we also did have a note one of our last episodes, maybe our most recent episode, it's hard to know because we were out for Labor Day, but we did talk about baby epilogues and how we feel about those. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, all you have to do is listen and you'll find out very quickly how we feel about them. <laughs> but we had someone email us. I'm not going to use a name or any specific information because I'm not sure if this person is okay with it, but they had a they have an academic background. So I am going to refer to them as Dr. H uh, because they actually do have a last name that starts with H. So. So hopefully that's not too obvious. Hopefully of all of the people in academia and the world, someone with the last name H is not not giving too much away. (laughs) Um, But this person, this is a little long, but I think it's important. So I'm going to read it mostly verbatim. This is a quote, so modern romance has its roots, I'd argue, in the comic mode, as described by Northrop Frye in his Anatomy of Criticism. The comic mode is about moving from death to rebirth, a protagonist's reintegration, and in both of those cases, re as in parens, into society after a period of chaos. Traditionally, comedy focuses on a young couple who are romantically blocked, typically by social forces and power, often a father-slash-paternal figure. It usually ends with the young people defeating the father slash parental figure, winning out over the existing power structure. Their triumph is symbolized by their wedding at story's end. Think fairy tales like Cinderella or a Shakespeare or Restoration-era comic play. A wedding demonstrates that the new couple has been reintegrated into society and that society will continue on in the future. It's not just a personal thing particular to this couple. It's a larger, more symbolic message about the continuance of society, which is why so many romances used to, and many still do, end with a wedding. They're hearkening back to this older literary tradition. A baby log is simply icing on this, quote, continuation of society, end quote, symbolic message. That's the end of the first part of the email, which we'll get to in a second. But I do want to make it clear that this person also included a PS that said, the above suggestion is in no way meant to justify the continuation of this genre convention in contemporary romance. Um, like Car- Kelly Farmer, who we talked about in the last episode, I'm not a fan of the wedding log or the baby log, recognizing, that it's recognizing its cishet normative tendencies. It's more by way of an explanation of how cultural forms of the past continue on into the present, even when those forms have long been forgotten. And like I said, th- so that's the end. That's the end of the quoting. Um, <laughs> this is Trisha again. Doctor is done. <laughs> I did. Like I said, I wanted to include this and I wanted to talk about it because I think it is a really interesting and informative. I mean, I'll be honest. I knew very little of this, or even what I might have been able to deduce from the Western literature that I've read. I wouldn't have necessarily been able to piece this together. Mm-hmm. But I think it. I think it's a pretty interesting explanation again not in any way an excuse but a explanation of maybe why some of these conventions exist does anything in that jump out to you jess oh yeah um
0: like i i do i have a pretty extensive humanities background so reading this i thought you might actually (laughs) i wouldn't have like written it out myself
2: this way because yeah jess is not dr h For the record.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I am not Dr. H. I wouldn't have written this because I don't think I could have come up with these sentences um, in the present day. But reading it and listening to you say it totally makes sense. Like, there's the whole thing about, like, in Shakespeare's time, a comedy wasn't funny. It was a play that ended with a wedding. So, like... The whole concept of like the comic form definitely is sort of the older form of a romance novel. It was the same sort of populist text for people Mm -hmm. who couldn't read as we would say romance novels are for us with three volume novels in the middle. So you can go from, yeah, from Much Ado About Nothing to Pride and Prejudice to modern day romance like you can see those bounces um so i totally i totally see everything that dr h is saying and um get how the form connects and agree that you know it's time for a different form
2: it's time for a different form
0: there that that is exactly it
2: <laughs> there it is well and thank you again to to dr h i again I, if you are interested i am happy to give your full name but because it wasn't clear whether or not you wanted me to do that. We're we're being careful for now, but thank you as always for weighing in on that. We're always very very interested in the insights, um, academic or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, as mine tend to be non-academic, so I will we will take all kinds on anything we're talking about. So don't don't hesitate to to reach out. We'll talk more about how to do that at the end of the episode. Jess, I'm interested in what you're reading, but before we get to it, we might actually want to do a quick break now. And then get into get into to the to the gory details.
3: Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish golden age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Lucia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillen Sant'Angel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leighbardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So, he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Arena in 95, and she's like the best, she's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love.
2: I mean, obviously, very much thank you to our sponsor. But in the meantime, <laughs> the suspense is killing me. I need to know what you are reading, Jessica Pratt.
0: I, uh, well, I am reading a lot of things because I have been in a terrible reading slump oh, recently and have started so many things ebook, audiobook, print book. Fan fiction, you name it, I've started it and not finished it. But the most recent book that I've started that seems to be moving along at a nice clip, and it kind of has to be because I have to read it for a book club that I'm running in, <laughs> in several days, is The Sweetest Remedy by Jane Agaro. And it's the second book, I'm not, I think they're all connected, um, but they're not technically a series, after Ties That Bind. And this one is about a young uh, biracial woman who was raised by her white mother who discovers that her Nigerian father, who um, left when she was very young but has been sort of su- supporting her monetarily, has died. And his last request was that all of his children, including her, come to his funeral. So I haven't really gotten very far into it, but I'm very curious about how, how much of it is going to be romance because we've met her, um, her love interest already and how much of it is going to be more like contemporary domestic fiction because I know that there is going to be a lot of that in it. Um, but I also know that she writes very in-depth romantic relationships too.
2: Well, keep us posted.
0: Will do. Yeah. So that's The Sweetest Remedy by Janie Garo.
2: And I hope that it manages to get you out of your slump and that you are not just reading it out of requirements. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I will be honest with you. I so I'm reading a book. I also have started a bunch in the last week or so. I'm interested in keeping which is unusual for me. I usually am reading no more than maybe like two at a time. Right now I'm reading maybe like four, which is again sort of unusual to me. And I'm I'm reading one that I am interested in whether you all who are listening to this have read it and whether what you think, because it's it's a book called The Simple Wild. It's by K.A. Tucker, and it is a book where one of the main characters, it seems to be a sole POV, first-person point of view, um, from Kala's perspective. She is a woman who lives in, I believe, Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. She was born in Alaska, in very, very rural Alaska, which... None of Alaska is like super urban. Like, this is not like Anchorage is not like the New York. I mean, it is like the New York City of Alaska, but it's still <laughs> fairly small. So like this is like a very, you know, there's one grocery store within 50 miles kind of a place. Mm-hmm. She So that's where she was born. Her mother was unhappy there, left when she was quite young, maybe 18 months. And then her relationship with her father, she hasn't seen him since they talked for a while until she was about 12 and then they kind of stopped doing that. So they are estranged. She gets a call that he is quite ill um, on the same day that she breaks up with her boyfriend and loses her job. Uh, And so she has no sort of like, she doesn't have those kinds of attachments keeping her in Toronto. And so when her father's a person of significance in her father's life asks her to come to Alaska to see him and says that that's what he wants. Also, she kind of figures like, okay, well, I guess I'll go for a visit. Like, I feel weird about this. Her her mom is very sort of skeptical of her going to this remote place, but this is her father and blah, blah, blah. And so she goes, she has to take this like very small little plane in order to even get to the city. The plane is flown by a guy named Jonah. Uh, in a shocking turn of events, Jonah turns out to be the love mm-hmm. interest. And honestly, I'm like 40% of the way through this book. Jonah so far is like, kind of an a-hole oh no and I don't know how like also though to be fair Kala is like she's fine she's in her late 20s she's like in that part of like she makes multiple mentions to being. and in fairness to her she recognizes it but she's like yeah me and my friend went to the bar because you know we're young and pretty and we can get to the front of a line and get into a club I'm like well all right <laughs> you know that about yourself and you are recognizing it but then she like brings her you know fancy expensive wedge shoes to Alaska Mm. where they are very impractical and then you know like she has entire bags full of makeup that they can't fit on the charter plane and I you know I love a city person has to go rural for a while kind of a book in a lot of ways I have a particular attachment to person has to go back home for a variety of familial reasons kind of mm. story. I don't know, Jess, like I just, I'm not sure. I, I could continue this book. I, it's entirely possible that by the time you are listening to this, I will have worked on reading it over the weekend. I'm not super drawn to it. I'm not super drawn to the characters. The only thing that has made me really kind of think that I might stick with it is that I think this is one of those series, if, I, if I'm if i understanding correctly, where the series itself at least the the first two or three books follows the same Mm. couple. And I'm always sort of interested in those. So I think what I'm trying to figure out is like, if the payoff over the course of the two or three books for this couple is worth continuing to read about two people who currently are not all that likable. So anyway, that's a very, very long way of saying, I'm not sure how I feel about The Simple Wild by K.A. Tucker. It is a book I'm reading and I am interested if any of you have thoughts about whether or not it kind of slowly or quickly shifts course over the course of the next many pages.
0: I know nothing about this book besides people seeing people on the interwebs uh, talking about it. Most of them have really enjoyed it. So if you have thoughts about it, um, let Trisha know and I'd love to hear them too.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate the solidarity.
0: (laughs) And in the meantime, there has been some not solidarity going
2: on. Ooh, nice, uh, strong transition, Jess. I do what I can. <laughs> uh,
0: we try not to talk about the events of TikTok because we could have a daily podcast about what is happening
2: on TikTok. And it would mostly be you explaining it to me and being like, oh, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> huh. Wow. (laughs) I also feel like that is literally what TikTok is, is just (laughs) people explaining other things that are happening on TikTok. But. But this topic came up and it was, it was something that I felt like deserved, well, Trisha probably felt like it deserved more conversation. I can't remember who brought it to the table. So I I think it was Trisha though.
2: It might've been me like selfishly asking you to explain it to me because I wasn't sure what was going on. (laughs)
0: something that deserved a little more conversation, and that was the backlash against Katie Robert, the author Katie Robert, who has written several awesome books and does so many things beyond, above and beyond, using a stamp to sign a portion of the 7,000 uh, either books or tip-ins that it was requested of her to do for the bookish box. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the bookish box, that is a uh, subscription box run by, I think, Colleen Hoover. I'm pretty sure. And people subscribe to it. There are a lot of subscribers, thus the 7,000 books that Katie was asked to sign. And she used the stamp as a tool when she could no longer hold a pen. It's still her signature, it's still her, she is still doing it. But there were people who felt misled about getting Katie's signed material because she didn't actually hold the pen in her hand to sign it. And, you know, there's some really great conversation on all of the various socials about ableism, and how like, how so many things are already asked of authors, especially hybrid authors like Katie, um, who are on wild, ridiculous publishing schedules and still take the time to do things like this. And yet when someone like Katie, who already has trouble with various movement issues uses something to help them do the thing that they said that they were going to do uh yeah, get on them for it and yeah is not you listeners because I know none of our wonderful listeners would be part of the group that would yell about this
2: of course not
0: but yeah as a universal yeah um <laughs> So that's that's the scoop that's what was happening.
2: Yeah, this is one of those things where I feel like more than one thing can be true and the, the thing that frustrates me about the way that this went down is not that people were disappointed, right like I think you can be disappointed. I think if it feels to you like there is something nice about a person writing their name in your book like maybe for someone the written name feels different from the stamp, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think you are allowed to be like a little bummed that maybe that didn't quite work out. And also the thing that I do fault people for is not being able to recognize like, listen, these were the circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is, it was 7,000 plus books. This is, I actually, to be honest with you, I don't think it should necessarily Matter. matter whether or not Katie has- any kind of disability or physical limitation or, I mean, any author who feels like they can't or just don't want to, like that's too many books. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's okay. Like any person of any um, level of ability or disability should be able to make that decision. I think like it's a, like I said, I think it's, it was more the pushback and the vocalizing of the disappointment Mm that, that, struck me because i think reactions are human people I'm, i will i will be very very honest to me it does feel maybe a little different to have someone do a signature versus use a stamp that doesn't mean i in any way don't support the use of the stamp it but i can see how somebody might feel like it's a little bit different i get it and also i fully recognize that like having an author use a stamp as the thing that is the best fit for them still gets me their sign. They were still personally involved in mm-hmm. that signature. They were a part of it. It's not like they handed Bookish Box a stamp with their name on it and said, like, here, you guys just do it now. Yeah. You know? So I think it's kind of like it's just one of those things where some people, the yeah, as you said, <laughs> uh, the, the yeah folks out there, all of yeah, those folks maybe kind of presented. Them some of themselves poorly, you know, mm-hmm. like no matter what, there was just kind of no. And we've talked about this on the, on the podcast before. There are circumstances in which people are just not offering any grace, yeah. And this is one of those times where it is free to offer someone some grace and understanding, and to be grateful for what they have done for you. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's always interesting to me. And um as an author, Jess, I, I'm kind of interested in what you think. There's a it's a strange, I don't know, circumstance or, or perspective around what authors owe readers. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, in this case, I, I think I don't think Katie really owed anybody anything. I don't I don't know what the circumstance of the bookish box were or whatever. That's fine. And no author ever owes anyone a sequel. No author ever owes anyone an explanation of how they wrote. Mm-hmm. No author ever owes but but there is. At the heart of publishing something transactional, mm-hmm. right, People buy books, people write books, they are selling their work, their art, their creativity, but i I feel like sometimes that weird line gets blurred about what is a reasonable expectation if you pay eleven ninety nine for a trade paperback versus what is what you have not bought, right but like there's you you cannot buy someone's creativity, like that's just not a thing.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's so hard to say and you know my first exposure to this occurrence this specific occurrence with katie was just like her kind of heartbroken i saw it on instagram so it was a real but um her response on tiktok to people and you know I don't know if it would have been a different response if it had been something separate from the bookish box. Because the bookish box itself has been getting a lot of scrutiny and sort of pushback from people who are getting things that they expect to be in a different condition, let's just say. Um, So I don't know if that element of it just made the backlash on her so much higher. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like these people are putting in their, their heart and soul into these things. And oftentimes it's not for any additional money. Um, and you know, like I have not signed anywhere near that many copies of my book, but you know, as someone who has repeat motion injuries, like Mm-hmm. It's a lot to, to do that kind of work, to feel like you have to do that kind of work to reach your audience, to keep them involved in your books, your life. Like there's so much more to the bookish world now than there was when it was just like, I like that author. I read their books. I might mm-hmm. go to an event where I can see them talk. And get my book signed. Now there's like so much more that is expected of everyone. Like, yeah, I mean, yes, now that we have sort of figured out how to do virtual stuff. There's a lot more of that. But that also means that there are a lot of authors who are doing this kind of thing for free. And, you know, they're, they're reaching audiences, but they're also offering up their time with little expectation of gain. And, you know, this, yes, it's an art, it's creativity, and it's still a job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, and there are people who approach, like, there are people who are quiet quitting. Their work by just uh, yes. uh, writing books, getting them published, and writing more books instead of going above and beyond, like people like Katie, and yet here we are,
2: yeah, and I will say to you, I think it's very easy for people to say, "Well, if you don't want to sign the books, just don't do it, right, like if you're not getting paid or if you're not doing it or if you don't want to do the events, just don't do it, or if you don't want to do blah blah blah, but the reality is. The way that the publishing industry works, at least right now, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, a lot of authors have to have certain, I mean, this actually was a bigger deal in music, I think earlier this year, but like people can't release a book unless they can show that there's an audience, right? Mm -hmm. Like they can't, like you have to keep people engaged. It's not just a matter of, well, just don't only do what you want. Nobody can make you do anything else Mm -hmm. if your publishing contract is contingent on it, or even if you're... Indie author, right? If your ability to put up a pre-order link, or a, you know, like it's it's easy to say this is. It's like, yeah, it's I cannot believe we're talking about quiet quitting, but it it is kind of that thing where like it's it's not above and beyond if it's the thing that you actually have to do in order to keep your place in the publishing landscape, whether that's romance or or any genre or any book or any art. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's kind of a bummer I think people had. And and I'm sure some people did avail themselves very well of of whatever happened or whatever feelings they had about it. But it is just kind of a bummer that some people
0: did not. Yeah. And it didn't, like you said, sort of allow people some grace for things that are just difficult for anyone, but particularly that. It cause actual pain, like, yeah, uh,
2: literal pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, just for the folks who are looking for a little more background on this, I'll see a couple of videos that were shared. You don't actually have to have a TikTok account to watch some of these TikTok videos. I know because I don't have an account <laughs> and I have been able to watch them in a browser. So um, I'll link to a couple of those and uh, we will all uh, send all of our good grace to Katie because she does do a tremendous amount for this community and you can tell that she really loves it and that when folks are being more pleasant it offers her a lot of joy so that's exciting Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely well now that we've talked about all that delightful stuff why don't we
3: take a break to thank our sponsor today's episode is brought to you by bloom books Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice. And she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. this episode is sponsored by the one that got away with murder by Trish Lundy Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends let us all take a collective angry sigh at that Lauren O'Brien the new girl at school has a dark past of her own and she's desperate for a fresh start Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away
2: With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show all right jess we've talked uh, this is, this has already been a real roller coaster also uh folks who are listening from their podcatchers don't necessarily know this but we started recording this episode on thursday september 15th as you heard jess say earlier in the episode then we ran in some bumps in the road in terms of audio and, <laughs> and long story short it is now 24 hours later yep. on september 16th so if this The episode is in any way cohesive and lovely to listen to. It is 1000% the credit of our wonderful audio editor, Jen. We are so thankful to her and to all of you for, uh, for offering us grace when we sometimes need it. Mm -hmm. But let's, uh, let's, let's, you know, contribute some good, good feelings, good energy into the ether, maybe by, by doing some recommendations.
0: Yes. Why don't you uh, tell us about this idea that you had, Trisha? I
2: will. I I don't often have a an idea that seems like it's worth much, but this one, I thought, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of books out there that it, sometimes it feels like, I feel like, I don't know, Jess, maybe you don't feel this way, but it feels sometimes like we're talking about the same books or the same authors and a lot of that, and actually I am worse about that than you are, so you may not feel that way, <laughs> but I think part of it is because, they're authors that we love because they're great. Mm-hmm. Like we want to talk about them because Alyssa Cole is incredible and Courtney Milan is incredible and Beverly Jenkins is incredible. But there's between, you know, the folks that we know and love and the folks that you are knowing and loving and seeing on TikTok or on Instagram or wherever else we thought it might be time to do like a quick, if you like this, you might try that segment. So yeah, we kind of figured, if you are ready to go one step beyond what we have maybe heard and talked about before, you know, now is that time. Absolutely. Um, And
0: funny story. I, you know, pulled together a couple, if you like, based on people that I regularly talk about um, or people that I know that have sort of come up in the world. I was looking at a couple of those and Luckily, I searched our past recommendations because (laughs) two of the books that I was going to recommend as the try this books, I had recommended in the same episode. Sure. Literally the same, like they
2: were back to back recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. I think, like I said, there's there's nothing wrong with recommending uh, books and authors that we know and love and think others will know and love as well. But I also appreciate that you are trying to not repeat, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mixing it up. M- keeping it new. Keeping it real.
0: Keeping it real.
2: And speaking of keeping it real, actually,
0: absolutely not keeping it real. Keeping it real. <laughs> Whatever is the opposite of that. Very much fake. Um, As I was thinking about a book that I have talked about, that everyone is talking about, if if you like... Ruby Dixon's Ice Planet Barbarians, which are, there are like 85 of them on Kindle Unlimited, and the first three or four were published in special editions by Berkeley in really pretty trade paperbacks. If you liked those, then you might try, interestingly enough, The mm-hmm. Dragon's Bride by Katie Robert, one of her self-published titles as opposed to her currently three in a series traditionally published titles like i'm like i mentioned before she's a hybrid author so she has a traditional series she has multiple self-published series going on right now she's running what do what do you call those things she ran a kickstarter so there's oh, a yeah. lot of there's a lot of Katie Robert going around but if you have not yet read one of her books and you liked ice planet barbarians you might enjoy the dragon's Bride. and i say that because while Ice Planet Barbarians is about aliens and the Dragon's Bride is, as you might guess, about a dragon. Um, you don't say. They both have, um, they're both situated similarly in which there you have your main character who is a woman who finds herself in a very strange place and ends up with a creature man who seems very gruff and, you know, fearsome, uh, but sure. it ends up being kind of a cinnamon roll who is also good at sex. So, if those are if those are your your requirements for a good kind of uh bonkers romance novel, then I would
2: definitely recommend trying The Dragon's Bride. I like it. I like uh I like that I like that and you know, again, shouting out Katie Robert Mm-hmm. who can basically do no wrong at this point. So uh, uh, speaking of people who can do no wrong, we have talked many, many times on this show about Talia Hibbert. And I, I feel like one of the kind of fun things about the show, at least for me, is that you early on in When in Romance introduced me to Talia Hibbert way back in the day when she was doing her own independent publishing and before you know she had a big deal and before she was a New York Times, I'm sure, bestselling author. I actually don't know which kind of best-selling author she is, but I'm sure she's many of the kinds of (laughs) best-selling author. And so it has been very, very fun to both come to know her myself, but also get to see her rise in the larger publishing industry. Mm -hmm. we talked, I'm sure, many times about the Brown Sisters series that starts with Get a Life, Chloe Brown. And they are such fantastic romantic comedies. And it is really hard to find... Something that matches up the both the kind of comedic and romantic aspect and also the multi-dimensional extent of the characters in those books. Like these are not, this is not slapstick humor. These are people who are dealing with a lot of things. They're dealing with things like chronic illness and they're dealing with, you know, family challenges. And there's there's a lot going on. And I kept thinking about that series, the Brown Sister series in particular, but the way that Talia Hibbert writes in particular, or uh, in general, as I was reading The Stand Up Groomsman by Jackie Lau. Mm. So, if you like uh, The Brown Sisters, if you like Talia Hibbert, I would encourage you to take a look at this one. The Stand Up Groomsman is actually the second book in the series that starts with Donut Fall in Love. Donut, like the food, like <laughs> the delicious, wonderful. <laughs> Perfect food. I will confess I haven't read that one. I don't even know what made me pick up the stand-up groomsman first, but um I feel confident in saying that you could you could read either, but I will tell you a little bit about, about the stand-up groomsman, which is that it, this is two characters who are both uh in the wedding of the characters who I am like 98% sure are the characters from the first book. <laughs> <laughs> because one of them owns, like, a donut shop. So it feels like otherwise that would be a real weird coincidence. Yeah. Uh, and they have, like, this very awkward, like, thing where they kind of meet and hit it off. And then they have a – they don't. It's, it's two main characters. Um, and both are bi. But it's a, it ends up being a, a male-female couple. And so Mel is basically telling Vivian that she's made a terrible life choice because she has a job that pays – her money in like finance or business of some kind and she is also she also does a lot of fan art and she has done fan art of the series that mel works on and he is yeah he's an actor and a comedian and all of that and he's basically saying like why are you doing this like dumb nine-to-five when you should be pursuing art and she's like well because it pays me money and i like having the creative outlet and Mm -hmm. anyway it's the whole thing so it's a little bit of an enemies to lovers story, but the thing that really like I guess I connects it in my mind to the kind of stuff that Talia Hibbert writes is that it's very like I said, the characters are just very dimensional, right there's they have challenges. they've got family stuff going on that is really complicated. Vivian is a person who is not really comfortable in a lot of social settings. like she was sort of astonished to be in this wedding because she doesn't have a lot of friends like mm-hmm. she's. You know, she had to raise her siblings from a younger age, you know, like, it's just that it's I love a book where the central couple is very compelling, but not the only thing the story has to stand on, right? Mm. The characters are really well developed. And, um, and it's funny, and it's fun. And I'm so happy that Jackie Lau, who was another person that I'm almost sure that you introduced me, and I'm sure many of us to, mm. is sort of following in that same pattern where she was uh, primarily doing self-publishing and now she is also publishing with a large publisher. So anyway, that is a long way of saying, read The Stand-Up Groomsman by Jackie Lau and also probably Do Not Fall in Love. I just haven't read that one yet. So whatever
0: you think. (laughs) I haven't read it either, but I'm going to soon, I swear. I say every day about every book, but you'll
2: get there. It's
0: fine. I'll get there. So. I really wanted to do an If You Liked for Seven Days in June, because I know how many people just adore that book. I adored that book. But as I looked through some of my sort of read-alikes for it, "Real" by Kennedy Ryan or um, Behind the Scenes by Christina C. Jones, who are both, you know, popular in our little world, They were read alikes in that they're really angsty and stressful. And I, I really wanted, uh, like, if you like this book, you're gonna need a cool down. So here is the similar but much lower stakes novel that you might enjoy because it still brings you, uh, seven days in June vibes without offering the seven days in June mental torment Uh, (laughs) and that is if you love something by jace ellis it is a romance between two men a second chance romance like seven days in june um but these two gentlemen uh, thought they were divorced and are actually still married so it has a bit of a romantic element or a, a rom-com element that Seven Days in June doesn't. But the way that I um connect them, besides the fact that they are about a black couple, is that they both have a lot of trauma connected to their the previous iteration of their relationship, and they really have to do a lot of work to really get to where they both need to be to make the relationship successful now. So seven days in June, the the time I think is a little bit longer. I can't remember because I think they're actually much younger in the book than I think they are. Mm-hmm. And if you love something is about a slightly older couple, but they, it still has that, that element of, well, What are they going to have to do to make this change when they still have such chemistry? And if you're like, okay, that's great. But what the heck is this book
2: about? It is. (laughs) I don't know who even needs to know at this point. uh, Right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) You've sold it already. But no, I'm sorry to interrupt. Keep going. (laughs) Well, in that case. No, um, (laughs) it's about...
0: Two men, like I said, they thought they were divorced, but they are still married. They, are, they both work in the food world. Um, one is a popular sort of semi-local celebrity chef and the other works for his family restaurant and is kind of like the money guy. And they are called by one of their uh, grandmothers to be like, I'm leaving both of you. Everything that I have, because otherwise it's going to go to your stupid uncle. And, you know, you can't leave my legacy to your stupid uncle because it'll just disappear. Sure. But she knows that they're still married. And there are certain things that happen that make it best for both of them if they pretend that Once they realized they were still married, they just got back together. So there's also a fake, a fake married, fake love. I don't know. I don't know what you call it because it's not a fake relationship. They're married, but they're not, they're not quite on the love level that they are presenting to the world. And in the meantime, they're stuck together. They're living together. They're sort of working together. And they have to figure out what is going on, so that they can either come together or move on.
2: Yeah, I that I'm actually really glad that you mentioned that one, Jess, because I mentioned to you the other day. It might have even been yesterday. Last time we were recording, <laughs> uh, that I one of the books that I wanted a couple of like. Uh, I if you liked that I was trying to find was one for boyfriend material or red white and royal blue or some of these kind of really we know how I feel about red white and royal blue it's complicated but <laughs> I, I feel like boyfriend material and and husband material as well are some of the best rom coms that I have read mm-hmm. in recent years like the genuinely funny light. Rom-coms, and, and I feel like it's just within the last few years that that has started to become a thing that is more present in queer romance. And mm-hmm. I was having a, a hard time thinking of anything that would fit as a read alike for that. So uh I appreciate you tracking one down that that might it sounds like fit at, at, sort of in that in that realm as well. Yeah, I mean, it never hurts to try.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. And I will just mention sort of fairly quickly, because we talk about Beverly Jenkins all the time, which is appropriate. Uh-huh. If you like Beverly Jenkins, which you should, mm-hmm. and if you don't, I don't know how you've listened to the Welcome to the When in Romance, because I don't know how you've listened this long, if you uh, if you do not. I We talked about Piper Hughley a few times on the show. I, I'm a huge fan of her work and what she has done, and I still am a little astonished that more people have not come across her work i was intent on talking about a virtuous ruby which is a book of hers that i don't think i've talked about on this but i'll be very honest with you the home to milford college series and the preacher's promise in particular is the book that i just remember better and it sticks in my mind it's about a um a mayor of a of a small town in ohio who is that right it might actually be further south than that
0: is it it might be georgia
2: Yeah, she starts in Ohio, Mm -hmm. she goes to school. um, So there's a woman um, who Amanda who goes to school in Ohio, gets a teaching degree, and then you are 100% right makes a decision to Milford is in Georgia. So she goes down to Georgia to teach. But things get a little complicated, because she is from up north and Things just operate a little bit differently in the South in the late 1860s. And so Mm. the two of them end up needing to get married. He's a widower. It's just a, it's a book that is, I think, really well steeped in history, as Beverly Jenkins' book tends to be, Mm. Um, not tends to be, always is without exception all of the time. (laughs) But it also, I always, always, always think about this book now that I have read um, Piper Hughley's episode, or episode... Essay in Black Love Matters, which obviously uh, Jess, you are familiar with, just a touch, and yeah, (laughs) Um, and I, I think about the way that she talks about uh, the way that black men in particularly historical romance had to be represented and what kind of limitations existed on black men in historical romance that did not exist for other populations. And it's just, a, um, I think it, it would be a really interesting thing to read in tandem is both the essay that um, Piper Hughley did for Black Love Matters, but also to read then some of the work that she has done and some of um, her books. Again, A Virtuous Ruby is amazing. I just happen to remember The Preacher's Promise a little bit better. So I I would point folks to, frankly, anything that she has done as a as a good uh, if you like Beverly Jenkins, which of course you do, then maybe check <laughs> her out. I will also say just a quick note as I was uh, talking about the stand up groomsman, I had uh, I opened up the Goodreads page and I was like, how is it that this book only has 28 ratings yeah it hasn't come out yet
3: so i apologize
2: i thought it came out in the spring it's coming out in october it'll be out the 25th so pre-order now Mm -hmm. and then be excited to read it in like a month i am sorry about that i didn't realize that i was reading an advanced copy uh but i am and i'm or I, i did and i'm excited about it so um so anyway if you go to read it or, or get on like get on your uh, library waitlist now, mm-hmm. and it'll come and show up. So that'll be exciting too. But uh, yeah, so still plan to read it. Just know that maybe you can't read it right this. Oh, you know what? You can read "Donut Fall in Love." Start there.
0: Read "Donut Fall in Love," and then you'll be ready for the stand-up groomsman when it comes out.
2: Exactly. All right, Jess. I don't know anything else that we are missing trying to (laughs) this uh this episode has been wonderful and i'm always delighted to talk to you and also a little more chaotic even than usual so yes
0: yes i don't know i i think i think we close while we're ahead
2: yes that is 100 the right way to address this um (laughs) so uh i'm I'm like going back to our notes from yesterday don't forget which mark next up on our on our next episode and we, I am interested in hearing what all of you think about The Simple Wild by K.A. Tucker. What else were we interested in hearing from folks about, Jess?
0: Um, send us your thoughts on, definitely send us your thoughts on Witchmark, um, so that we are talking to more than just ourselves. And um, if you have recommendations for authors that you think we might like based on some of the people you hear about regularly um let us know
2: that sounds great and uh like we said before huge huge thanks as always to jen our fantastic audio editor who is above and beyond this week even more than she usually is we are so grateful to her you can reach us as always at when in romance at bookriot.com as you know from the fact that we read some of those emails earlier in this episode <laughs> and you can find me on instagram primarily at trisha Haley brown and you can find me on twitter
0: at just is reading all one word on instagram at just underscore is underscore reading and on that tiktok at just underscore is reading i had to think about it for a second but that's what it is
2: all right well, again, huge thanks to everyone for listening and for all of your patience and grace with us. And we will talk to you about Witchmark and who knows what else very soon. All right. And in the meantime, happy reading. <laughs>